0: podcast eight done done what did you think yeah i really enjoyed it it's quite it's quite good to do one on a topic that's obviously been debated at the moment because obviously a lot of our podcasts have been about people's careers achievements you know and what's going on so actually to do one on you know, a topic, what's a current what, affairs topic, a current affairs, very nice, very nice wording. You obviously okay. learn, learn, learn a lot, aren't you? <laughs> so yeah, it was, um, it was good, you know, and obviously we had quite a bit of engagement on our post as well about what people wanted to answer. So to be able to get the viewers, not viewers, listeners, mm. sort of say involved, I just wish, you know, that one, uh, I can't believe I swore. I know. Honestly, I was <laughs> like, I can't believe this. I <laughs> half committed I can't effort, believe it. and I was like, I'm there now. So I might as well just, you know, just say it, but. I don't know what to come over, man.
1: If I was if I was a betting man,
0: I would have thought that I
1: would have sworn
0: before you on the podcast. I know. I agree. But yeah, what what I mean, look from a freight point of view, I mean, I never used to really get involved because I was quite always well, quite lucky that you know it was just on the screen and you you were just looking at your prices and going it that way. Yeah,
1: Obviously you just sell it.
0: Yeah, just sold it really, didn't really worry about when it's coming in, I suppose. You'd only ever worry if it wasn't there, then you'd have a whinge. <laughs> But for you obviously you were quite. you've always been like you've said in other podcasts haven't you that you've exported and and mm-hmm. imported so I mean what did what did you find useful for yourself if you're looking back of what if you'd be sat there on you know working at stock services at the moment well, I think from
1: speaking to Simon and when you listen to the pod he makes a lot of really good points and a lot of, a lot of tips really for companies so I think some of the larger companies are probably better geared up but some of the smaller companies that are trading and doing less international freight or buying less from the continental Europe and bringing it in they might be they might be finding it a little bit more challenging at the moment there's definitely some issues but I think for companies that are used to buying commodities in from wherever but you know if you're looking at people buying things in from China or India or Korea or places like that you kind of understand that in co-terms, which are buying different ways, CFR, CIF, DDP, DUP, all these different terms. And that's kind of now hit the domestic and the European freight market. So I think people have just got to change their viewpoints on transit times and, unfortunately, some cost implication that's going to come in. So, yeah, I thought you made a lot of points that would be very useful to companies. And I think it's just... It's almost like reskilling people a little bit now to kind of get them to understand what is going to be expected. And as I said, these delays, like it's not, it's not going to get – it will get quicker because the backlogs, I think, will die down over time. But the process now is going to take longer, so you can't just expect to pick up the phone late, order something like I used to do. You know, I could pick up the phone late even in Holland – get something straight you know shipped over it might still take two days or something we will get it in a day still so those those days I think are a, a number now which is well it's going to be problematic for people
2: on average even, as, even to mid-December we've probably had about 25 trailers a day arriving since January mm. <laughs> we're now I think this week we've had an average of 10 trailers a day arriving and that just about sums it up really and it's not because the work's not there to be done yeah. there's a lot of work that still needs to be doing it's all about the admin functions that run alongside it now and the, the preparation and having to get everything ready
0: Are you, are you surprised? Did you notice it just be like this? When they kept changing the
2: leave date you can't be in a position where you're overstaffing so you can't employ people even though you know you're going to need them
1: What were the phones like? Was it just like
2: bedlam in here with the amount of calls coming through? ideally to 10 digits a lot of people are providing to this day eight which is good enough for a uk export but it's got to be cleared on the other side where they'll require 10 digits
0: so you know like that with steel tubes or like what asylum so are doing with heat exchangers and so on where some of the parts might be i'd imagine a lot of them are, are either european or maybe far east is that an issue then if you've got a mixture of say european material and Far eastern material.
1: Do you really think you've had anywhere near the time to get ready for this? Even though we kind of said we knew it was going to happen. Hey guys, Pete Comerford, Michael Bolton, the Metal Guys. Uh, We're joined by Simon Hartley today, branch manager of J Heebink here in sunny Manchester. How you doing? Good afternoon. Fine, <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Now, Simon Hartley, you started your career in freight in 1983, which means I was one, and well, you weren't well, even born. born, were you? But I have to be
0: honest. Considering you were one, he looks better than you do, mate. really not it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate.
1: I've had a very hard paper round. I yeah. still have it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you joined J Hebing, which is a Dutch-owned freight company, uh, just over ten years mm-hmm. ago. Why did you join Hebing? How did that come about?
2: I've had a relationship with Hebing uh, going back to pretty much the start of my working lo- working life. I've always known them, always worked quite closely with them. Uh, in the in the employment I was in immediately prior to joining. Um, I was actually a customer. I liked the company that much. I couldn't buy it, but as near as I got to, I had (laughs) the opportunity to join it and and experience it. I've always found them to be a a really good player in the market that we deal in, in the haulage between UK and Netherlands and Belgium. And I like the way they operate. So when when I had the chance, it was kind of a no-brainer. In fact, on the day... They day I joined, the old warehouse guy, who I'd known probably the best part of 25 years, mm. took a taxi. He wasn't, he wasn't working at the time. He was poorly, but he took a taxi into work just to stand in reception and say, do you know what, Simon? It was inevitable you were going to join this company at some point.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I, I used to use them. Um I used to do business with you guys for a few years. And, you know, you, this isn't sponsored by he <laughs> by any stretch. But, yeah, really good company, especially for, you know, i found anything around the benelux or like the west german area as well getting a bit yeah, german pieces. raw yeah. yeah you were um yeah really really good so how did you um how did you start your freight career what was your first job
2: um, well I was training in industrial and domestic electronics yeah. at the time so yeah it's a bit different but it, that was back in 83 yeah uh, during a recession when jobs were at a premium I had the uh, opportunity through a family relation to be recommended. Nepotism.
0: To Gabby, to, to, to can't,
2: Gabby. <laughs> we'll those Yeah, Anyway, yeah, I joined a company called Houses. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, doing import-entry work. So I started oh. life as an import-entry clerk. Yeah. Uh, doing imports from Germany, yeah. making sure all they were all cleared and ready for the customer to use when they, when they eventually got here. You're doing much of that? Since Jan 2021, by any chance? Yes, it's <laughs> like I've gone full circle. <laughs> funnily enough, <laughs> nearly 40 years and doing what I started off doing.
0: What was what was it like then? Like in, you know, was this just still a, a lot of work coming, you know, being imported into the UK or? Yeah, in terms of volume,
2: it's never really changed a huge amount. It's only about the way you do it. Yeah. Um, at the time, no one had known anything different other than doing customs clearances. To get stuff in and out of the country, and it was all done on typewriters. It was proper old school. Yeah, you've yeah. got to remember it was pre IT days. Yeah. You know, I remember the first uh, cheater telex machine coming into the office and everybody wandering around it going, don't know if I can, oh, I'm not going near that. I don't know what it does, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and I know it makes me sound old, but it's, you know, it's just the facts of the business. But it's the, yeah. it's the way it went, typing like entries with, on, literally on a typewriter changing the ribbons and corrections yeah. and all that it must have
0: been um, such a long process then surely it must like the, the, the quickness of must have like since now we we're where we're at now must have just be or not it's different yeah I think it's different um, whilst it was a
2: very manual process yeah literally getting a manifest through through the, the old old-fashioned telex machine on a sheet of paper for this particular customer that I was involved with probably like 15 foot long of data which you had to roll up and roll out and sort up all the different HS codes, all the different values, gross weights, net weights, then collate it all together so that all the values, gross and nets matched with the total that was on the list. It was a very long-winded manual process. But that said, the only real difference is where you put the data into a system now.
0: Straight away, I'm thinking because I spelt everything wrong. I'm thinking if I was on a typewriter, I would have been a. uh, (laughs) Well, man, let's just be honest. (laughs) So, what the hell happened, right? If you're writing down, you just you just have to start again. Yes. Oh my god! I would have got a job in the office. Thank God I was born in 1989. I'm guessing the the main
1: difference must have been from today to now is just the amount of staff it requires to do the same process. I'm guessing because it was manual, there was just a lot more headcount. Whereas now, because it's more electronic.
2: Yeah, there was an element of that. I mean, The electronic versions that we're now dealing with. When you've only ever dealt, if you take Heaving as the example, since 1993, you've never been involved with customs entries. So your whole business models evolved to work in a very fluid, quick, very responsive manner. You know, to the point where someone can call you in the in the morning. If it's an existing customer, you know all the details. You can arrange a collection in the afternoon. And in a lot of cases, you can get delivered in the Netherlands the day after. That's completely gone out of the window. Because now we, we've had to review the business model, change things around, to make sure that everything's back in place. We've got all the documents we need. We know what we're doing with it when it gets on the other side of the water, both sides, whether it's an import or an export speaking to people who were going to make the clearances on arrival, yeah. how the charges are going to be accounted for. And we, we took a decision that we were going to get all that in place before we arranged the collection of the cargo, Yeah, which now makes us a very rigid company to deal with. But the benefit of that is that by the time we're collecting the cargo, we're pretty sure that it's going to be delivering within a reasonable time frame because we've invested that time up front and made all the contacts and all the preparation correctly.
1: What kind of volumes, if we go pre-Brexit now, I'm guessing they're still the same now, but what are you doing through Hebink, if if we're looking at just imports? What's coming through weekly or daily?
2: Well, we we carry all kinds of different cargoes, so whether it's small parcels through part loads, groupage through to full loads. But on average, even as even to mid December, we've probably had about twenty five trailers a day arriving. Um, and about twenty a day going back out. Since January.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> we now I think this week we've had an average of ten trailers a day arriving. And that just about sums it up, really. And it's not because the work's not there to be done. Yeah. Know, there's a lot of work that still needs to be doing. It's all about the admin functions that run alongside it now and the, the preparation and having to get everything ready. So we've, we've got a lot of work waiting to come through, but we're insistent that we get it all sorted so that
0: it moves in, a, in an organised manner and gets delivered. But you know this, slight like, system that's where it's like... Because you're, like, 50% down there straight away... Mm-hmm. Or more than that, aren't you? Like, it's obviously this we've known this is coming for like ages. You know, like how how is it? Why is it in such a state? What you know? Are you surprised? Did you know it was just going to be like this? From the day the referendum result came in, we
2: started talking about what was going to be required. We were very aware of it. We did a lot of planning for it, a lot of investment in uh, software solutions, etc. But it just went on without getting a definitive way of which it was going to be processed. Will we get a deal? Will we not get a deal? And it rolled and rolled and rolled. So, and there comes a point where you can only plan up to a certain amount because after that, certainly on our side of what we do for a living, there's a cost element attached to everything. There's a there's cost to people. So when they kept changing the leave date... You can't be in a position where you're overstaffing, so you can't employ people even though you know you're going to need them because you wouldn't have had anything for them to do up until that point. Of course. Um, Running alongside that, there's a lot of ancillary costs involved to make these things happen, like the um, badge fees to get into the customs chief computer, signing up for guarantees, certificates which need bank guarantees which also come at a cost depending on the value you need so we kind of found ourselves getting hamstrung up to a certain point because there was no clear indication of on what terms we were going to leave and part company with the eu so we planned up to a certain point and then we had to wait and of course it was just a christmas present that was delivered on 24th of December, wasn't it? Yeah, the as the terms in which we were actually leaving, which yeah. realistically means you've got Christmas and New Year's Eve included to get whatever it is resolved, resolved, sorted, which was a bit of a big ask, I feel.
1: What was it like that first couple of weeks back in the new year? It, it was chaos,
2: it was absolute
1: chaos. People. What were the phones like? Was it just like bedlam in here with the amount of calls coming through?
2: Calls, emails, people asking for not even so much rates, it was more advice. Yeah. And we found ourselves being almost consultants overnight. Fortunately, we had been in a position where we'd done a lot of the research early doors. We had done a lot of the preparation. We knew a lot of the principles of the processes and the theory behind the processes So, being able to at least explain to customers what we thought should have been happening and then slowly but surely being in a position to put that that theory into practice Mm. was it was actually good and quite rewarding i think yeah looking back on it five Uh, weeks later um yeah it was quite rewarding but at the time it was just chaos it was absolute chaos
1: what were the main? What was the main problem? Straight away, was it just lack of knowledge, or lack of headcan, or you know, lack of experience? What
2: were the What were the big headaches that you were finding? We struggled quite a bit with um, people's unawareness of what the, what they were required to do as, right. mu- as as much as our own. Was that in the UK or in Europe or both? Oh, both. Yeah, both. Because when we left the EU, it changed in so many different facets of the way people transacted the business. Mm. From things like the terms of shipment that have been involved. I mean, historically, someone had rung somebody up and said, oh, can you supply me with X? And they'd say yes. And they'd give them a price for it, delivered. And it just turned up. Which effectively, to put that into into post-January the 1st terms means that they were doing it effectively DDP, delivered duty paid. Yeah. Although there was never any duty to be paid. But now, of course, there is, which comes with little bits of information like that. When People were never made aware of it prior. So we at the beginning, we were getting a lot of people suggesting they wanted to use DDP terms. So if you look at that from a UK export perspective, somebody's got 20 grams worth of kit that they're trying to move over to the Netherlands. It arrives, somebody's got to clear it. There's a tax element, Dutch equivalent of the VAT at 21%, maybe duty involved in it, yeah. which is another problem that everybody seems to have. And under DDP terms, those charges should have been being debited back to the UK supplier. And he had no recourse. He couldn't claim the, that tax back like you'd know, claim normal VAT back. Well, I think for customers that haven't been used to doing,
1: like, air freight or sea freight services and understanding the intricacies of all the IncoTerms that you can use to buy, most people who are running businesses where, as Mike would know, the stuff's just on the shelf. You just sell it. You're not bothered about that, are you? You don't care about the fact it's DDP?
0: You're
1: just not even aware of it, are you?
0: I I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. I mean, we said it outside, didn't we? I mean, to me, it was like if there was 700 metres of tube that's come out of, like, Paul Merring or something, and the price was... Twenty-eight pound a minute, thats all that mattered to me. You know, it's just, it just—it just—it just turned up. So, what I think a lot of people are struggling with is it's the knowledge, right, isn't it? It's the knowledge because you never dealt with it, you never dealt with it. Right? Your purchasing manager or your administration team would be speaking to people like yourselves, Where for us, as a sales point of view, you'd be like, "Well, where the bloody hell's where the bloody hell's me stuck? What's going on?" You know, and this is where you start. People, there is a lot of confusion because people are starting to learn about it that have never really considered items <laughs> get to get to, get to the warehouse there's a mindset everybody. as well as isn't there i
1: think because when you're buying as i say you're freight forwarding from say china where the majority of things are coming out and that, that's another massive issue at the moment huge issue but you're used to your mindset is right if i'm buying from china it's x amount of days on the water or if i buy air freight even then it's x amount of days on the airplane yet I know the plane should be able to turn up within 18 hours, but you've got to do documentation prior to it getting there. Then it has to fly. Then you have to clear it. Then you have to pay all your fees, etc. So you're used to the time, whereas probably what you were doing, Mike, and what a lot of the customers you're dealing with, they weren't factoring in, oh, well, I need to add in five days or seven days to go through those processes. And it's just bottleneck the whole thing that's just my you know, assumption am, am i right is that, yeah, yeah, is that kind of what's going on right,
2: absolutely right effectively between 93 which was the polar opposite of january 21 selling something to berlin or brussels from birmingham was exactly the same as selling it to somebody in manchester you put it on the truck you delivered it sounds, sounds bliss <laughs> bliss is a word that has been used an awful lot Yeah, I mean, I remember going into work on January the 1st, 1993, or the nearest working day thereafter, having spent the previous 10 years having to ring people to get customs clearance instructions and doing this, doing this, (laughs) (laughs) very much doing this, and walking into work thinking, So that's half my job's just disappeared. This is going to be absolute bliss now, and that was the word that gets used an awful lot. And then we find ourselves and we've gone full circle we're in the same situation we were in prior to that. It, it, it was, it, it's a strange decision to have been made, is my personal opinion. So if I'm
1: a customer listening now, so I'm someone that's having problems at the moment, talk to me about what should I know, what do I need to know to make my life easier, or not necessarily easier, but just to, to be able to realign my expectation.
2: Of, of how things are going to work going forward. I think the important thing to, to do is to work closely with your customer and your transport provider. And between the three parties involved, working together, you'll get a solution. I mean, we've got a particular client who, Salem Tubes in Prada Yeah, yeah. In the northeast. Yeah, we know them. Um, we've worked with them for a long time. But first week of January, they had some shipments, they needed to move out. And I have to say, we worked very, very closely with the team up there. We were asking for them to go to their customers, find out information that we'd need to be able to create the entries, looking at the way they, even the way they were producing the invoices, the the statements that were on in paperwork. And they worked with us. We asked them for things. They went away, found the information out, worked with it. And I have to say that so far it seems to be working quite smoothly. I spoke to them this morning. They've been very happy with the fact that they are actually getting deliveries made into the Netherlands and Belgium. So what what is this info?
1: What info do do they need to be finding out from, I'm, I'm shipping something into Europe now to a customer of mine. What do I need to be asking my customer to provide me with? And what do I need to be working, you know, giving you? It's
2: the, the essence of it is the information that needs to be put on the customs entry. IORI numbers, that's one thing that the government did well prior to Brexit, instructing everyone that they needed to make sure they had applied for the IORI numbers. Um, But to create the entry, you need the IORI number for both the shipper or the exporter, and the importer of record. You need the full description of the products, the HS code classification, ideally to 10 digits. A lot of people are providing, to this day, 8, which is good enough for a UK export, but it's got to be cleared on the other side where they'll require 10 digits. So that's that's something that's still being worked on with, with a number of people. Uh, the value, the currency, the terms of sale, the origin declaration statements, the identification of product
0: that is not of UK origin. So you know like that with steel tubes, or what, say, are doing with heat exchangers and so on, where some of the parts might be, I'd imagine a lot of them are, are either European or maybe Far East. Is that an issue then, if you've got a mixture of, say, European material and Far Eastern material? It is. Um, if you, Looking at it from the export UK export
2: perspective, when it arrives at destination, they've got to make the import declaration. It comes down to the rules of origin, which is, I think what you, you alluded to a little bit earlier. I did. Um, that went very much under the radar when there was talk of a trade deal. Um, the trade deal essentially covers goods that have been manufactured in the UK. If something has a previous history... May have been imported from China, made in China, has not undergone any processes whatsoever to change the effectively change the HS code right. as to what the product is. It will still attract a duty element when it arrives at destination.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's why, on the information that transport operators like ourselves are requesting, we're, we're, we're very clear we need to know the origin of the goods, there needs to be an origin statement on the invoice. Because on the other side, it can have the same HS code, but if it has an HS code of an origin in the UK or any other European country versus an an HS code of something that was produced in perhaps China or India or whatever, the non-EU, non-UK element will attract a duty rate. (laughs)
1: So, how have things changed now? You're five weeks down the line. How, how have you found? You know, how, how are you feeling now when you wake up in the morning? A lot more comfortable. <laughs> um, I got a new mattress at Christmas as well. It's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> it makes a world of difference. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had a topper on it, and everything's beautiful. <laughs> uh,
2: no, it, we've got into a groove. We're, we're in a lot better situation than a lot of people because. The markets we deal with allow us direct access to the destination country. Because we are predominantly a Benelux operator, we're, we ship from Hull of an Evening and we, or Harwich, and we go on the North Sea crossings and we arrive directly in the Netherlands, which means the cargo's cleared in the Netherlands, and it's, it's a relatively time, simple but time-consuming process. Rather than having to go through, having to transit through Dover, Calais into France, up through Belgium, which is a whole different mode and requires a whole set of different documents and systems and processes to to go through. We did suspend services for a very short period of time to catch up on the initial backlog of entries that needed producing in the Netherlands. It took, I think, it took us quite by shock the, the volume of work that was going to be required you, the theory is one thing but the practicalities of making it happen are sometimes a little bit different aren't they? So we had a very short respite in services, caught up, changed the whole way in which we conduct ourselves, our business as I said earlier I think we we became a lot more rigid in the requirements and what we needed people to provide us with. Since we made those changes to the processes they seemed to work well so we come in and in the morning to answer your question and it's, it's, it's fine we, we move along we get the cargo moved both in and out of the country the customers have been a pleasure to deal with the by far and away the vast majority interested in i think in how to make it work properly they want to work alongside us they're not offended by us asking questions over and over again or pointing out where something needs to be changed or updated or amended because I think they appreciate that the help and assistance that we're we're offering will give them benefits further down the line, perhaps with other people or other destinations. So it's a lot easier now than, than I thought it was going to be.
0: We've had a few of our kind of clients who want to ask a few questions, if that's all right with you. Hopefully, some of them you'll be answered, some of them maybe not. First one is from a gentleman called Lee Turtle, who's the depot manager of Halls and Pickles in Wamborn. Is but for me, I would like to know if the paperwork side of things will be a long term request or see the government relax this and help us all start to do business back in Ireland we have mixed messages reference steel source and what you need what you need to pay taxes on knowing this would be also good now, obviously I know predominantly it's um, you're doing a lot of work in obviously in, not so much in Ireland but I just wonder if you could
2: I think due to the complexities of the agreement that was reached I don't see that there will be m- m- much ability to change the current requirements in terms of paperwork with Ireland of course you've got Southern Ireland Northern Ireland and the border situation uh, and the effect it has on the EU which which has been well publicised so with the best will in the world I can't imagine that the paperwork issues that are there now will change because the EU will always want to have that element of protection over their land border I noticed when I used to buy
1: from uh, Noxon in Holland, or Stapp at Noxon, as they are now, and even when you guys used to collect for me and bring stuff back from them, they used to have like a five-page form, that, and it had all these HS numbers and commodities, and it was a really quite comprehensive document. I only got it from them. I don't know if that was something that was required in Europe, and they were just going above and beyond, but I never got it from anyone else. I, don't,
2: that, I think you, it must have just been an anomaly. Oh, right. Maybe they, maybe it was part of a, a system that generated that complexity of data.
1: Yeah, I think they because used to, they dealt
2: with other other areas where it would have been required. Perhaps. Yeah, I
1: think it was just as a way of like knowing what because they were doing so much exports. I don't know. Maybe I'll, I probably should ring Stapp <laughs> 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 yeah. rather than just start asking questions without knowing what I'm talking about. If we if we flip another list, I've got Declan Murphy, and obviously you can probably tell where he's from. Um, another Irish company, he he was asking again about paperwork. He also said that, and this may not not be the case with you, he said there seems to be a lack of understanding with many logistics companies of the quota systems in operation. And so far, we've had to talk to two or three logistics companies through the process, and they're trying to charge an extra 25% duty. Have you had any issues with this quota system? I mean, I'd, I'd not even heard of this.
2: eight so, Island... Nine so yeah. my knowledge of what's going on with the Irish situation is very, very limited. To the yeah, point sorry, you would, did you did say that. I wouldn't <laughs> really want to pass comments on it. We've been that focused on trying to deal with our own markets um, and getting things right for, for where we're involved. Uh, I do know that it's a separate set of paperwork requirements, and from people I've spoken to within that particular market, it has been very, very arduous. Obviously. We're not necessarily a full-blown logistics provider, as some people would understand it. We operate our own trucks, our own fleet, uh, and in some respects, we're probably more akin to a, a haulier yeah. as opposed to mm-hmm. the logistics provider.
0: Yeah. Okay. I have a question for a gentleman called John Cooper. What percentage of the problems? Are, um, do you know why he's put a word in? There. I can't pronounce. It. I'm going to ask you, Pete.
1: <laughs> what percentage of the problems are uh, procedural? as possible to change and what percentage are a
2: permanent consequence of leaving the EU? Very closely interlinked, aren't they? Because without what, the procedural changes directly influence the documentation changes and it's all as a result of leaving the EU. I think this
1: is the issue, isn't it? You know, this is where people are going to start getting quite political about what's going on because it's one of the first things that's really going to start Bringing a big impact into people's lives, really. Yeah. I, did, I did enter
2: into this trying to be apolitical. <laughs> it's very difficult, yeah. isn't <laughs> it, it? It, yeah. it? It is very difficult, and very quickly you do struggle to get yeah. in that line. Matthew Bay,
1: who's um, sales manager at API Stud bolts. Yeah. <laughs> He was asking if, uh, if you had a time machine you could go back five years.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Would you go back six years and not, uh, not employ your son? <laughs> Would you go six or five?
1: <laughs> but I think the question I, yeah, he's kind of getting at here is, I alluded to earlier, there's signs all the way up and down the motorways, wasn't there for three, four, five months before this happened. But do you really think you've had anywhere near the time to get ready for this even though we kind of said we knew it was going to happen do you think that the time constraints and the way things kind
2: of fell well so to be apolitical then yeah I'm sorry Um, (laughs) sorry no no it's fine it's fine it's it's a very valid point no I don't think people had enough time Um, I think they needed the four and a half years again after the details of the agreement was known to put it in put plans in place to be effective. The fact that it's uh, running alongside the pandemic... It's convenient, I suppose. Yeah, it's just exasperated (laughs) everything, really. Um, It allows... It does allow a certain amount of cover, (laughs) because... That's what I mean. I know. (laughs) Because the news is about the pandemic, and right Right. now, that's human life. Yeah. You know, the rest is just finance business. Um, Human life always has to take number one priority. But I think even the most... Ardent Brexiteer would have accepted an extension, the two year extension that was offered by the EU to the transition period, what to allow the country, time to get over the pandemic do a deal that was good for the country, for business and for its people and I think in two years you probably would have been in a better position to go through Brexit alongside the pandemic, having got well, hopefully, having got the majority of the pandemic pandemic out of the way at that point. Um, I think that was a a decision that could have was probably missed. Do
0: you, you think very well answering that question? Yeah, you? I
1: think <laughs> <it's very laughs> <well done. laughs> so. Give. I mean, you've kind of answered this really,
2: but sorry, can I just go back to that other thing? Yes, about the the signage and the adverts. Tell me. Oh, frustrating. Yeah. Frustrating. There's nobody in our business that I've spoken to who's not fallen out with the missus because flip has been flipping the bird at the TV in every advert between the <laughs> TV shows, driving up and down the motorway, telling you things are going to change. We know get, pipe, change. get your paperwork ready, just tell me what's going to change, yeah. and I'll gladly go along with that. Yeah. it. I mean, my personal one was the, was the poor guy who got much maligned on the TV advert when he was tapping away and repairing his chair in his workshop. And I'm thinking that's and he's not going to see the same changes that I'm going to see when I go to work on
1: January yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the exactly, yeah. Given that the government made the decision to just go, let's just do it, because there is sometimes, play a devil's advocate, sometimes the more time you've got, the more time it takes to get to a, get to a point, doesn't it? You, know, you can fill up time with doing nothing for you know, a year and a half before you start kind of cracking on. So sometimes you just, you make a decision, you just have to go for it, don't you? Given they've made that decision, what do you think they could have actually done better?
2: I think the the decision as was made, which is effectively the way in which we are going to trade with Europe, needed to be explained in more detail earlier to allow business, and I don't just mean... The haulage logistics business, I mean all businesses, mm-hmm. to assess the impact of what had finally been agreed through whether it's trade bodies, give them a chance to go through how, how it affects each individual business sector and allow them to disseminate that information, the ramifications, even down to the things we discussed earlier, you know, about HS coding, terms of shipment. Give people a chance to digest that information, process it, renegotiate with customers. I mean, I don't know what it's like necessarily throughout the metal industry, but if there's a long-term contract in place that was agreed before the deal was in place, that might not actually need reviewing because terms of shipment alone, if you've agreed to supply on certain terms... Yeah. And you're held to a contract for three years hence. You know that yeah. that, that could cost
0: people an awful lot of money. Mm. Yeah. But well, there's definitely situations of that, especially like, you know, contracts of material where well, there was been some yesterday, um, Mike Holtways, Beyond Materials and yeah. some of his containers are costing him fifteen thousand dollars Yeah. It? Yeah. yeah it's it's
1: th- normally yeah. about fifteen hundred quid. Even my dad, you know, he's got jobs going at the moment and he got quoted really Extortionate at he thought. I think it was about five grand for two containers to come in, but because they didn't come in before the end of the year, I think he's now been charged like over fifteen thousand pounds or nearly eighteen thousand pounds for these two containers. But that pro- that isn't fixed. That's just a finger in the wind price. So it's roughly going to cost this, but it's almost like you're held to ransom on it. But then your customers don't necessarily want to know oh, they're on customers So it's going to be, well It's going to be a mess, isn't it?
2: Put a lot of people in the middle of situations that didn't necessarily have to be in.
1: No, of course, Chinese New Year's kicking in as well now. So there's, you know, there's no bloody containers in China. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's the perfect storm, really, isn't it? I'm just adding to the, it's the perfect <laughs> storm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Oh yeah, dear. You've obviously seen what it was like prior, when you were saying about pre ninety three. Businesses always bounce back. Things change. It, in time, things get better. I know this is a guess, really, but you know, how long do you think it will be before you're really back on track and you're back to the 25 lorries coming in a week, you know, 20 lorries going out, that kind of level?
2: How long's the piece of string. I know <laughs> it's a really bad question, wasn't it? I don't even know why I asked. Yeah, um, you'd you'd like to think that give it six months. You know you'll have everything back in place, but in five months, some of the easements that have been put in place by the UK get removed, and full customs checks will come into play. The second part of the of the whole thing uh, becomes effective. Where I mean, we're already looking ahead to the additional things that are going to have to be done at at the end of June um, because it was this phased approach. In, into leaving the EU. So whilst I say I'd like to think in six months, ask me again in six months.
1: Yeah, I'll come back.
0: You know, um, earlier on, um, when I was outside having this conversation, obviously you said that you're very really strong in the middle Pete said that, obviously you don't. You know, never had any kind of damage experience, which for me, with we a freight company when it was six metre lengths, there used to be you know, sometimes the bend that they used to put on the end of the tube, it was better than some of the machinery that <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the customers had spent on it. Oh, yeah. Honestly, I always should admire the art of it.
1: You know, when it was like a Shed 160 pipe, yeah. you're like, How have you yeah. done
0: that? <laughs> have You pulled a 1D round on that. <laughs> fantastic, then. But, um, you know, what what is it about your kind of setup as an organisation that allows, you know, stockholder distribution companies to? You know, ensure that they haven't got that kind of issues that they have maybe with some of your competitors um,
2: a lot of it goes down to the the history of the business for for many years we've been involved within that business sector um, In the head office in Veenendaal in the Netherlands they, they've got a specific warehouse that's down for steel stock holding it's fitted with cranes load straight onto trucks that are, are designed with specifically for long-length loading. They've got sliding roofs, the goalposts set up in, to, in the middle of the trails to stop the bars rolling round in transit. Um, it's just something we've actively gone out of the way to, to uh, gear up to do over the years. We've got some some big customers uh, over based in the office, you know, particularly in this business sector, Van Leeuwen and Dylan Stahl, for example, and you know, we do a, quite a lot for these guys. And alongside their support, we've managed to build up the services
0: and the methods of working, if you like, to look after their products. Yeah, 100%, yeah. Like you say, it's, it's almost unique, niche, isn't it, really? Because it's like there's a lot of stockholders over there who are you know, delivering into the UK, especially, because some of the sizes. So it's like... What oh, not sure, none about you uh, <laughs> a few years ago because the amount of headaches you used to cause it was, uh, and obviously you'd never get your never get your fright back, aren't like, you, know, so.
2: What's the know. What's the best way to get in contact with you? Well, I've got the website www Yeah. Or we could always take email inquiries. That's info at heebink mm. and we're always at the end of the phone.
1: Have you noticed? Like a lot of new inquiries coming through to you, because when we spoke a couple of days back, you said that certain you know, competitors in your marketplace had had to suspend or were having problems or not being able to run certain services. So have you found that there's been a lot of new incoming inquiries?
2: Uh, yes, we, we have had a number of inquiries. We've got a number of recommendations from uh, existing customers who've mentioned our name to people they in turn have been talking to who may have been struggling mm. to get things moved. Yeah, we've had, we've had a number of successes already. I'm a bit low to call them successes because it's because people are struggling. Yeah. But it's nice to know that you've got a system in place that can help people. Yeah, and yeah, as a business, we, we're enjoying the fact that we are getting some inquiries off people we didn't previously know. We just talked about COVID only lightly
1: really in this. Obviously, if we go back to March last year, how did COVID impact on your business and how did that change over probably, say, we look at March to December? How did that impact on what you were doing?
2: Initially, it was quite a big impact. Um, When people started furloughing staff and they weren't manufacturing the same volumes because they didn't have the same amount of staff on site, the actual number of carryings of cargo did go down quite significantly. Um, But from summer through to the end of the year, it was compensated with people going back into the workplace and the necessity or the idea that they were going to have to stockpile with the impending Brexit. So one kind of went from one to the other, and it was very much a boom or bust year. So the, fir- the first half of the year where Covid really took hold it was a real dip. But the second half of the year in the build up to preparation and
0: stockpiling for, for the Brexit scenario kind of compensated to a degree. Yeah. I well, know it's funny to it, how things work out because like in the, in the steel industry, like it was like everyone took a bit of a hit we say the least over like mm. the main time. But at the back end of the year, it went from, like, not even the scrap was bothered to come around and pick steel up on the side of the streets yeah. to suddenly the levels have just gone, like... You know, the, the people are having, like, record-breaking months because the price still has gone from, like, say, £550 a ton to, like, over £1,000. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, it's doubled, and it's just, like, they're doing really well. Which I suppose, is, and this
1: is now exacerbating it where there's shortages because, as you've said, yeah. getting the material back into the UK
0: to then resell it. But it also makes up for the bad months you had. It's, like, it's just a funny way, isn't it, of how...
2: It was a strange, it, it was
0: a strange year commercially. Mm. Yeah, I think for for
2: everybody it was yeah. very strange. You know, we've got customers who um, were involved in hand sanitisation pro- products, for example, quite quite small volumes overall. But at one point last year, I mean, they were doing two full loads a week. Yeah, I and that's to Belgium. And fair play to them. I mean. They were nimble enough as a business to be able to take on that extra production and keep
0: literally rubbing their hands. Well, there was of that was That's so bad. It was awful. Yeah. <laughs> <all>. <laughs> I looked down. I was like, you looked at me as if you'd smelt a fart.
2: He did actually look down and shake. I know. I did. I did. Yeah, oh yeah, right.
1: Right, oh that my. was quality. I'll definitely edit that. Yeah. <laughs> well, i was... um Got to say about COVID, obviously things dropped off very early on, you know, that March, April time, and then obviously things came back on. My interest with COVID was was there an impact in getting people into the country because of the COVID restrictions and the different lockdowns? And obviously, we're back in one at the moment. Did that impact on getting freight in? And then, really, the question here is has Has COVID, is that still causing an impact as well as what's going on? Is that something that we're almost ignoring a bit? Or is that kind of irrelevant that this is just a complete car crash?
2: Going back to 2020, it didn't impact the ability to bring freight into the country because it was classed as essential travel. So the truck drivers, we run driver-accompanied services, so the drivers are attached to the to the trailers when they're arriving. Essential work. They were allowed to carry on pretty much as normal. Obviously, yeah. social distancing when they're at clients, social distancing on the ferries, uh, abiding by all all the, the government guidelines that were in place, masks, etc., etc. But they were still allowed to travel into the UK. Um, so far this year, there's now um, a new regime for pre-negative checks are being required before you can enter back into the Netherlands, so the drivers now have to get Oh, to these, um,
1: what do you call them, the lateral flow
2: checks? Yeah, the fast. Yeah, the fast response, yeah. ones, um, There's a number of places around the UK where you can get those done within the time frame, allowing you to get onto the ferry. Yeah. Um, but things are still moving. There's yeah. somewhere else you've got to go and something else you have to do, but it's for, it's for the greater good. You know, we're we're still moving the cargo. The drivers are still doing it, and Touchwood it continue. They're quite happy to carry on doing
0: it. Hundred percent.
2: Everybody's got a social responsibility.
0: No, hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. Anything else you wanted to ask, Mark? Uh yeah. brilliant. Thanks for uh, thanks for answering all the questions. Yeah. Really sorry for asking that. two political questions <laughs> <laughs> and Ireland yeah, yeah, twice. twice yeah. Ireland twice yeah that yeah, was goaded, start, I was goaded but, it. but I never for, yeah. I never went for it <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. no I really appreciate it thanks for your time Simon
2: no it's been my pleasure I hope it's been use to somebody
0: end of episode 8 thoroughly enjoyed that one
1: yeah it was good two
0: pods in two days I know
1: I'm all pod out. Well, they're out of order now as well. So, I'd, I'd
0: yeah, no one expects you to be efficient, mate. Highly efficient. No, no, no. nah. What do you nah. think? though? you enjoy that? Yeah, I did enjoy that. I so say I think we have done well there. It's like, yeah, about yeah. We might as well price that. You're blowing well. your own trumpet. Yeah, yeah, why, why not? I can see. I mean? If people are moaning about it, can't listen to, it, can't hear them, can I? <laughs> so I might as well do it. But I think we need to do more of those. You know, you hear things going in the marketplace, and, and that's the point of a podcast, isn't it? That's what makes it relevant, really, as well. Mm you know it's um so yeah i really enjoyed that hopefully the questions we put forward got answered well i feel they did so hopefully it helps people who are kind of going through this pain mm. hopefully in six months it will be better so um well
1: let's hope so but you can help us out as well you know if you enjoyed the pods you know we said it on each episode it really helps if you subscribe leave us a review that really helps doesn't it on apple it does
0: it does indeed and you know share it as well Especially with this one, you know, there might be ex colleagues, current colleagues, share it. For us, it's about it organically growing. And I think it just, by the post we put out the other day, it just proves how many people still listen. Mm.
1: Yeah, sorry, Ben. I forgot to ask your question. I do
0: apologise. What was his question? I can't remember. Fair enough. (laughs) That's why he got forgotten. (laughs) Sorry, Sorry, Ben.